Uh, two words that I always hated in school. Anybody? Pop quiz. I'm glad it wasn't just me. How many of you enjoyed the pop quiz? Right? For the ones that raised your hand, we don't like you. Because you always studied and you always knew it. And then when we got our grades back and asked for a curve, there was no curve because you ruined the curve for all of us. Anybody want to testify to that? Like, I hated a pop quiz. Why? I was never ready for it. Even though for weeks the teacher said, all right, any moment I can give you a pop quiz. Okay, whatever. And then you walk in that day, you're ready, you just had your your carton of milk at lunch and your square pizza and corn, because those all go together, and you walk into your class and you're ready, and they're like, oh, by the way, today we have a pop quiz. And then you realize this is the worst day of my life because I wasn't ready. Well, what we're going to see in today's passage, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 22, and Abraham's going to get a pretty big pop quiz. Uh, And what we're going to find out is God told him it's coming. Like, there's a quiz coming. You need to be prepared, and you need to be ready for the quiz that is coming. How would we respond if we felt like God asked too much of us? I'm going to let that simmer for just a second in the crock pot. But what would your response be if you felt like, maybe God asked a little too much of me? That I I can, God, I can give you a little bit of this area, but I can't totally surrender this. I can give you a little piece of this, but I don't know that I can trust with the whole thing. Isn't it amazing that we trust God with our very salvation, but we can't trust him sometimes to take one small step, to have one conversation or whatever it is that he may be leading us to. Well, Abraham is going to be in one of these situations like as a father, I would feel like it's asking a lot because he's taking his son Isaac and he's going to have to take his son Isaac and, and follow God to, and be put into a position that I think as fathers and mothers and grandparents, that would be extremely difficult for us. See, the thing you got to understand about Abraham, Abraham endured 10 different tests through his life. When, when you go back and look uh, through the book of Genesis and study, the book, uh, study Abraham, his life, there are 10 different tests in his life. And in these passages, what we're going to see is Abraham's about to get the greatest test that he's going to face in all of his life. Um, This is called the faith test, because this is the one. Everything else is led up. Remember the the whole, hey, you're going to have a son. He's going to be your promise. You just got to believe that that's going to happen. How did Abraham do in that test? Well, he failed that test because he decided that he's going to, since it's taken a long time, I'm just going to go and get permission from my wife. And Sarah said, this is fine. Go with our maidservant and you have a child with her. And he has a child called Ishmael who is out of, and by the way, this is a theological thing because Ishmael is a child that is of uh, birth by works where Ishmael is birthed by, I mean, uh, Isaac is birthed by promise. Okay. And so where we're at is that Abraham fails that test, but there's multiple tests along the way until we get to Genesis chapter 22. God uses testing, and we don't, we don't like this, but what's the purpose of the pop quiz? Well, when I was in school, it was to torment and, and to punish, right? <laughs> but the purpose of the pop quiz is to hold you accountable and to see where you are. Because you may not be as far, you know, there, you know, there's a lot of times I'll give tests out to students and they'll say, oh, I got this. And then you get the grade back 
and they get the grade back, and it's like, well, I don't got this. I thought I did, but those pop quizzes and those tests that we have tell us where we are, hold us accountable to what we've known, and we grow from those things. Look in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 1. It says, after these things... God tested Abraham. And, and what are these things? Well, on the back of your worship guide, when you do your reading this week, you're going to see what these things are. So God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he answered. He said, take your son. And he said, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah. Say that with me. The land of? That's going to be important. Uh, when we study scripture, when you see key things like places, you should mark those and go do some research on what is the land of Moriah. And I want you to go to this land of Moriah. I want you to offer him there a burnt offering. Okay, in the Hebrew, burnt offering means to ascend or literally go up in smoke. Okay, so to, to do a, a burnt offering, this is you could do it whenever you wanted to, but to do a burnt offering was acknowledging our sin nature and that we needed God to forgive us of our sins. So he says, I want you to go to the land of Moriah, offer your son there as the burnt offering. Who is the offering here? Isaac. There ain't no ram, there ain't no goats, there's no pigeons. It's your son. And he says, and you go do that on one of the mountains I'll tell you about. So the first thing I want you to write is Abraham is obedient through the testing. There's an obedience here. Because wouldn't you admit, this is asking a lot from a parent. Is asking a lot, especially for Abraham, because they have been praying and praying and praying, and God promised him that Isaac was, you're going to have a son, and finally they get the promise. Isaac is the promise to Abraham. And now what is God asking him to do? I want you to drag him off into the wilderness, and I want you to make him the burnt offering. Okay? Now, when God asked him to give up his son, I want you to notice what Abraham said. Did you catch what he said? Here I am. Is that your answer? It's not my answer. Hey, God, wrong, wrong number. I'm going to need you to, you, not me, right? But look what happens in verse 2. He says, take your son, he said, your only son, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah, offer him there as the burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. So Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and he took with him, Two of his young men and his son Isaac, he split wood for a burnt offering and he set out to go to the place that God had called him and told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. Then Isaac spoke to his father Abraham and he said, my father. And he replied, here I am, son. Isaac said, the fire and the wood are here, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Could you imagine how Abraham may have felt in this moment that Isaac has been, this isn't his first burnt offering. He's been here, done this before. And he puts all the pieces together. We got, we got the wood, we got a way to start the fire, but how are we going to have a burnt offering if we don't have the offering? Where is the lamb for the burnt offering? So in verses three and four, it tells us there's a three-day journey that's happening. Can you imagine? He gets up early that morning. And he's, he's taking this journey. Can you imagine the weight of what's about to transpire? For three days, he's thinking about Isaac. He's, I can only imagine like him just glancing over, seeing him thinking, God better come through on this. 
because this is the promise. We've been, I, I cannot go back home to Sarah and tell her. I already had to have that conversation that God asked us to leave the place of Ur and just start walking to a place that we didn't even know where we were going. And I got her convinced of that. And then I had to convince her that God told me that you were going to be pregnant even in our old age. And now I'm going to have to go back and tell her I had, I had to make him a, a sacrifice. And so I want you to notice something. It doesn't say that Abraham got up and he spent time in prayer and he started fasting and giving tithes and offerings. All it tells us is he simply woke up and went to where God told him to go. Uh, there's, there's something in here for us because sometimes we will prayer things to death and use it as an excuse to not be obedient. I'm just going to pray about it. Well, you've been praying about it for 15 years. It, like Abraham knows that partial obedience and delayed obedience is disobedience. You can pray about stuff for years and you can hold it as an excuse for years. But what he's called Abraham to is not for partial obedience. I, I want all of it. And he's asking for a lot, right? This is a lot. How many of you would just get up and be like, yeah, absolutely. Let's go sacrifice our son today on the altar. I, I'm, I'm down with that. We would all, it depends on how your kids are acting. But because I see some of you looking over at your kids like, well, if you caught me on the Wednesday. But, but I want us to feel this weight. Could you imagine what he feels walking with the promise that they have been waiting on, knowing what's about to happen. It's like he has a secret that he can't tell. You ever have one of those? Like, I just can't tell you. Look at verse 5. And then Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship. And then we'll notice the language. Now, why, remind me, why did they go to Moriah? To sacrifice Isaac. I want you to hear the words. That, I want you to hear the faith and the confidence that Abraham has. He says, the boy and I are going to go over there to worship. And then, what is that next word? We'll come back. We'll come back to you. And Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, and he laid it on his son Isaac. And in his hand, he took the fire and the knife, and the two of them walked on together. I'd imagine this is the point of where you had to know that you know that you know that this was a word from God. Because I am now physically walking on the side of Mount Moriah. I have given the wood to my son. All the elements are here, and he is the sacrifice. Step by step. So with the wood on Isaac's back, Isaac looks like a condemned criminal with a cross on his back. And we know that this is prophetic because this is a view of what the crucifixion of Jesus is going to look like. And, and Abraham is in his 130s. You, would you say that was AARP? Like he's, he's there, 130 years old. And he's walking up this mountain. And as he climbs Mount Moriah, he places his son on the altar. And then it becomes very clear to Isaac, I'm the sacrifice. His only son is the sacrifice. And Isaac lays on this altar, and he's about to be sacrificed. 
Now, here's something I want you to pick up on. We talk about Abraham's obedience. What about Isaac's? Because it doesn't say anything that he was tied and bound. He's not a little boy. Isaac is in his 30s. Are you telling me that a healthy 30-year-old man can't take out a 130-year-old man? <laughs> right? Changes the story a little bit, doesn't it? He willingly lays on this altar. Now, how do we know he's in his 30s? Because in the next chapter, Sarah dies. She's 127. And so Isaac's in his 30s. And if he wanted to, he could have taken dad out. But instead, Isaac lays his life in obedience for his father. Write this down, that God is faithful to provide a substitute. And this is, going to not, this is going to become really real to Abraham in these next few moments, in these next few verses. Because here his son is laying willfully on this altar, trusting his dad, because he has watched his father walk in steps of faith. And he believes in the same promises that God has made to his dad. And he's going to lay here and watch this knife hover above him to be sacrificed. And in verse 8, Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And I want you to notice something. Then the two of them walked. What does that word? There's a unity in this. There's a trust in this. And when they arrived at the place that God had told them about, which was what? What was the place called? Mount Moriah. Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood, and he bound the son Isaac and placed him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, just in case he missed it the first time. And I would imagine this time when Abraham says, here I am, it was a lot louder to make sure that you know that you heard me and I'm willing to do whatever you need me to do. If it's stop, I'll stop right here in this moment. And then he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. And I can imagine Isaac's going, whew, okay, this was close. And he says, for now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your only son from me. And Abraham looked up and he saw a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. And so Abraham went and he took the ram and he offered it as a burnt offering in the place of his son. Somebody say substitute. And Abraham named that place, the Lord will provide. That place of Mount Moriah, the Lord will provide. And so today it is said it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. This ram was foreshadowing of the Passover substitute lamb that would happen during the Passover of the Israelites in Egypt. Remember this one? All the plagues came. They were gonna, the death angel was going to come. So you need to smear the blood of the lamb over your doorpost. And then if you had the blood's lamb smeared over, anybody within that doorpost would be saved because the, the death angel would pass over your house. It got really creative. They will pass over your house. This is foreshadowing of that's going to happen. Okay? Because Abraham's got the promise but in a few chapters, we're going to get into Exodus. We're going to realize that oh, these people 
found themselves under the, the bondage of Egypt. And God provided this ram in place of Isaac. It was the substitute of Abraham's firstborn. So we, again, we see that at Passover. We see it again 2,000 years later. There'll be another substitute lamb that we will call Jesus. So the question is back to this. We, we said it was Mount Moriah. So the question is, why is the spot of that mountain so significant? Okay, we got to ask the question. Why doesn't he just sacrifice his son outside of town? Why did he make a 50-mile journey on foot to Moriah? Because what we know is that Mount Moriah during Abraham's time is a wasteland. There's nothing there, right? It's like that distance of leaving Monk's Corner and going to Myrtle Beach. There is a distance. It just feels like a barren wasteland. You know what I'm talking about? Like if I broke down out here, that's it. Like it's the place where you're like, I'm going to hit a deer. That, that's the barren wasteland. Yeah, tell me about it. I know some of you live out there. We got it. But here, hear me. He, he's saying that it was this barren wasteland. It was an uninhabited mountain that he sends him to. It's the same one that God would tell Solomon, I want you to go and build a temple on that mountain. Look what he says in 2 Chronicles chapter 3. Then Solomon began to build the Lord's temple in, what's that word? Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. Oh, look at that. And where it's amazing, this stuff all pieces together, doesn't it? And he says that where the Lord had appeared to his father David, and at the site David had prepared on the threshing floor of Onan the Jebusite. Let me show you a picture real quick. This is, this is what he's talking about. Now, the Golden Dome is now what they call the Dome of the Rock. This is where uh, it's one of the second most holiest places in Islam. But thousands of years ago, on that spot where that wall is, that, this is Jerusalem, this was the temple. Uh, this is, these are the very stones, the very steps that Jesus would walk up and out of in the temple. This is the place that Solomon will build his temple. This is the place that the Roman destroyed the temple. So this is important because what we know is the temple is constructed on the ridge of Mount Moriah. How do we know that was true? It's right there. Well, at least the walls are. Um, so there's this going to build this here. This is the same ridge that Abraham is going to take Isaac. The reason there's a golden dome right there because in Islam it comes off of Ishmael and they built the golden dome in place of the temple and underneath that the dome of the rock they believe that is the rock that Abraham uh, was going to sacrifice not Isaac they believe Ishmael on um, and so that's why it's such a prominent holy place for Islam because they also believe in Abraham. So with all of that, I want you to go back to Jesus's time when there was actually a temple there. I told you last week, every day they sacrificed how many lambs a day? Two lambs a day, every day. And that was the sacrificial lamb for the sins of the people on Mount Moriah. They're just following up with the sacrifice that Abraham was going to make. And every day, God, we're sinners. We want your promise. We want the promise that you've given Abraham. We want the promise of the Messiah. This passage is foreshadowing Jesus. Are you catching that? You're catching some of the hints of, of Jesus here. 
Look at these connections. Did you notice that when Abraham rides up on the mountain, he comes on an animal? What's that animal? A donkey. When Jesus comes down into the city on his last week, he comes riding on an animal. What is that animal? Both of the sons were the one and only sons of the father. And you would say, well, what about Ishmael? Again, remember, Ishmael was not a son of the promise. That was outside of what God had asked. Isaac was the son of the promise. Both Jesus and Isaac are the beloved sons of the Father. Both of them walk to their execution. Abraham Abraham ascends the mountain on the third day, and Jesus ascends death on the third day. As Isaac carries the wood for sacrifice, Jesus will also carry a wooden cross up the mountain for his sacrifice. But here's one major difference. Where Isaac was spared, Jesus was not. Not only is Mount Moriah the place where Isaac is offered up by Abraham, not only is Mount Moriah the place where the temple was going to be constructed for worship, Mount Moriah is also the place that we call Mount Calvary or Golgotha. Because what Abraham didn't know is that 2,000 years from now, what people are going to see walking up the hill with wood on the back is going to be Jesus walking to his death on these same mountain ranges, these same ridges of mountains. The question is, how can God ask a man to sacrifice his only son? Too much to ask? This is Abraham's prized possession, the thing that we've prayed for, we asked for. But God isn't asking Abraham to do anything that he's not going to do. God is going to offer up his son, Jesus. I like what the theologian James Montgomery said. He says that Abraham was only asked to sacrifice his son. He did not actually have to do it. Even if he had, there was only a physical death involved. But when the time came for God, the heavenly father, to sacrifice his son, it is not a mere physical death. It was a spiritual death, one that achieved redemption for sinners. When God's hand was raised at Calvary, there was no one to call out, stay your hand, do not harm the boy. When God offered up his sacrifice, the hand that poised against Christ fell and Jesus died. And through that death, God brought life to all who trust in Christ's sacrifice. Hallelujah. It's a big difference between those two stories, isn't it? Massive. There's one more interesting piece in this text about how God provides the sacrifice himself. In verse 8, we have to figure out a way to render this. And there's a couple of different translations that we have to look at and kind of figure out what is it that God is saying. So so look at verse 8. He says that Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So there's two ways to render this. Number one, we would say that God said, I'll take care of it. I'll get you something in its place. That's one way. The other way to render this is this way. In the Hebrew... God will provide himself for the sacrifice. Big difference. He will be the substitutionary atonement. He will be the substitute lamb. This is Abraham's cry that God himself will provide himself for the sacrifice for the people. He's got it. He will take care of it. Now, how do you apply this text? I think you apply it a couple of ways, but growth in your faith always require testing. I don't know if that's good news for you this morning 
or bad news, but we go through tests. How many of you can testify? You've been through some tests. How many of you going through tests right now? You're like, I didn't ask for this. Then God maybe has told you along the way. But I want to show you the difference about the test in this passage. There's a difference between being tested and being tempted. Tempting is always tempting us towards sin. Testing is always gaining to, to hold us accountable, to know what we know, to see where we are. The thing about Abraham is that we know he's being tested. We know that, but guess what? He didn't know that. He's in the middle of all this. This is the 10th test on his life. Look at James chapter 1. He says, no one undergoing a trial should say, I'm being tempted by God. Since God is not tempted by evil, he himself doesn't tempt anybody. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Thereafter, the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. God always tests the righteous. We will always have them. We will always have them. And he knows the individual can pass the test when we go through it. We're going to pass. And we're going to know where we are. We're going to, he's going to assess where we are. But, he wants, but what he wants is when God tests you, he's squeezing you to prove that what's on the inside can reside on the outside. The only way I know that to, to explain this is like, a, you kids ever had those little applesauce pouches? And the only way to truly know what's on the inside is to squeeze the outside. Well, in this scenario, you and me, we are the pouch being squeezed to see what's on the inside, right? God is trying to find who we are, squeezing us. And that way, it increases our faith through exercising. Every time you go through something, you come out a little stronger. You come out a little better. You come out seeing things a little differently. It's, it's part of the test. What is interesting is testing in the Greek is where we get the same word for raise up or standard. A raise up or standard or, or a banner being flown. A test is never meant as a temptation to tear you down. It is meant as an elevation to raise you up knowing what the word is. But we always see them as bad things. They're not meant to be bad things. They're meant to raise up. The testing is never meant to minimize or harm you, but to raise you up, to grow you closer to God. You have to understand that this test of faith for Abraham, the 10th test came after the previous nine tests that he got in his life. And they were, they were pretty hard tests. They were, they were acts of obedience that he was going to have to do. Abraham's been walking with God for 35 years, and he's heard the voice of God, and he knows the promises of God. But the question is this, how did Abraham believe that God was going to do something good out of offering Isaac? Because you asked me to give my son, how do I know that you are going to use this for your good? And once you can, once you can get to your, your point where I'm going to willingly obey and sacrifice the next question would be, but what is, how do I trust that God's going to use this for his good? In Hebrews chapter 11, he says this. I want you to tell me what these first two words are. It's, it's by what? Faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. It's by, I, he, he just believed. And you, when we go back and read Genesis 22, 
There are words of faith in there. God himself will provide. Me and the boy, we will be back. He received. So he, received, he had to accept, right? He received the promises of God. God said, these are my promises. He accepted those. He received those. And yet, he was offering his one and only son, the one to whom it had been said, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. Well, there's a promise that the offspring would be traced through Isaac, but God's asking me to sacrifice him, to end his life. And he considered God, pay attention to this verse, this is a big one. He considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead, therefore he received him back. Abraham was offering up Isaac with the mindset that if he killed Isaac, God could still raise him from the dead. That's how much faith he had. That was the trust that he had. That doesn't happen on test number one or test number two or test number three. This is a long life of tests to build his faith. So Abraham believed that, that everything came to him was a gift from God. He was just stewarding everything he had, and this included Isaac. And when God asked Abraham to offer Isaac up, he was asking, is your gift in the treasure or the one who provided the treasure? Where, where is that at? Because if it's in the treasure, you're going to lose everything. But it's in the one who provides the treasure, you're going to gain everything. Abraham offers up Isaac, and he wouldn't withhold anything from him. Because I'm going to give you this, God's going to, God wants to bless. God wants to be involved. God wants me to surrender so that I can draw closer to him. So when God says, offer up Isaac, here's what I want you to understand. When God asked him to offer up Isaac, he is not interested in Isaac. He, God already has Isaac. You know what he's interested in? He wants Abraham. He, he wants Abraham. He wants to know where Abraham's heart is. He wants to know if he's serving God because of what he can get from God, or is he serving God because he wants him? And testing proves where we stand. I heard a pastor one time say that you want to know how good the fruit of the Spirit is in your life, let somebody take a bite out of it. Well, I love people, and then they bite into that love, and it's like, hmm, kind of want to hit my car in reverse with you standing behind it. You don't know until it happens. God is after Abraham's heart, not a son. If Jesus is your treasure, you can lose everything and still have everything. You can take it all away. Adrian Rogers, the old pastor, says that a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted because you don't know how strong it is until it's been tested. If you think about um, a nail and a hammer, think about the way that that hammer comes down on that nail every time it hits. If you're the nail, you would think, man, this hammer's kind of cruel, man. It's just hitting me, Right? This is a weird thing. You'd have to think of this as a cartoon. But in this scenario, the nail and the hammer can talk. It's like Veggie Tales for Tools. Um, Bob the Builder. There we go. 
But if you think about the way that hammer comes down on the nail, if you were the nail, you'd think the hammer is being cruel. This is not good. Because the pain that the hammer inflicts on that nail, but what you don't realize is the hammer is necessary for that nail to be able to do its purpose. Because with every strike, it drives it down deeper into the grains of the wood to hold together whatever it is that is being used to hold. That nail drives deep into the wood to become effective and efficient with every blow of the hammer. And the hammer for us is the divine instrument that God will use for testing to conform us into the image of his son. And every time the instrument comes down, it's molding us and it's shaping us. Every time testing comes, it molds and it shapes. And I know people are here saying, well, I'm tired of being tested. Anybody? That's you. I'm tired of being tested. I feel like every time I come out of something, I'm right back in it. And you feel like a nail. But you have to realize without the hammer, hammer, that nail is not efficient. It's not effective. And the longer the master lingers over you, your value is increased. Your maturity is increased. And every person who is mightily used by God is always tested. Tell me about Moses. Moses went through some tests. Did he not? I mean, he... he made some sin. He committed some sin. He, he, he was a man on a run. He took off because he killed a guy. He, been, he went through some stuff until he got to talking to a burning bush, which he thought he lost his mind because he's out in the middle of the desert talking to a bush until he hears the voice of God. I mean, you're telling me Noah wasn't tested. 300 years old, God asked him to build a boat in the middle of the desert. How's this going to work? It's just me. You think about all the people in the scripture. Esther had to go before a king. She would save a nation. John the Baptist was in jail for preaching the truth. He was tested. Jesus was in the wilderness and was being tested. Do not despise the testing of the Lord. It is good for our lives. Never once has God left us on our own. When we look at Abraham and Isaac, here's the key piece of this. Abraham and Isaac walked in unity. That's the way that God walks with us. No matter how deep the valley or how high the mountain, God walks with us together. Isn't that amazing? That's the story of the gospel. That in Genesis chapter 22, Abraham is seeing what it's going to look like in 2,000 years when Jesus walks the hill. He's going to realize that these tests, these tests land him into the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. That people are going to be talking about. We're here years later talking about Abraham and using his story to increase our faith into believing. So today, I want you to walk away with this idea that growth in your faith requires testing. It requires it. What that means for us is we got to get a new perspective on how we see things, right? You can either learn from it or just repeat it. And if you feel like you keep repeating the same test, because you hadn't learned the test yet. And how many of you know God will keep taking to the same thing until you finally figure it out?
we have a God of grace that lets us take retest. So today as we respond, there's some, um, there's probably, there's confession that needs to happen between you and, and God. Are there been areas in your life that you tried to control that he's trying to teach you, but you've been fighting the testing? There's some things that you know clearly that God has called you to do, but, but you're, you've just been praying about it. And today's time to stop praying about it and just surrender to it to be obedient to what he's called you to do. And I don't know what that is for you, but it's something. You have a step that you need to take towards him. So would you pray with me as we get ready to sing and, and close out today? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for who you are. And uh, Lord, I just ask in, in this moment as we look at Abraham's life, especially from Genesis chapter 15 to 22, God, the, how you took him from test to test to test. But each time Abraham got stronger. And on that 10th test, you asked him to do something that, God, we, we, I don't know that I could do it. But he tr- there was so much faith that he trusted. And I pray our priorities would be one that's in the treasurer and not in the treasure. And today and in this very moment that we'll repent and confess of the things we need to repent and confess of. God, that we would take communion in the back or even write down our, our confessions or prayer and put, pin those to the cross. And may we sing loud, declaring that when you tell us your promise, it's going to happen. There is no expiration date. It is so. And Lord, I pray these things in your name. Amen.